millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined on the other side of the pond by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty good. How about yourself? I'm having a good time, Matt. It's uh, been a very casual, chilled out Sunday with the kids all by myself at a trampoline center. So I'm not stressed out at all. I'm not going to bring any of that stress to the podcast. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just wor- use the words chilled out and with the kids by myself in the same sentence? Yes, and trampoline center. It's a horrible lie. I could not be more strung out, but a big thank you to you, Max. You've sorted out the show notes today. A little peek behind the scenes. Matt does quite a bit on making sure that we're talking about the relevant things on the new shows. Chris and Matt very much having their finger on the pulse. But Matt, my contribution to today's show notes was simply argue with Matt about Ferrari. And we're going to do that somewhere in the middle of the show. Well, yeah. I mean, what's the point of having a show if we don't argue about Ferrari? I mean, they are Formula One, right? Oh, ouch. It's more the case of, hey, Ferrari did bad but you still insisting that they're somehow the best team. Ferrari are the fastest car. It's just reasons. Very good reasons. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by motorsport PR superstar Chris Stevens and all the way from Singapore, Charis Chua. Let's go and talk about some big dirty news. Dirty News. All right, Matt, why don't you kick us off? There's going to be a breakaway Formula One series. So this is the last series we're going to enjoy a Formula One in its current format. So we should all enjoy it. And Lewis Hamilton can't possibly beat 
Michael Schumacher's seven championship record because uh, this is it. It's all over. They've had a meeting and they've decided to break away. Yeah, no, but they did have a meeting. And, and I think uh, the, I think uh, the reporter that reported it was just having a bit of fun at the expense of the rest of us, because let's face it, if there's one thing that has plagued Formula One for any number of years, it's rumors that there will be a breakaway series. There was uh, Bernie Eccleston in his Formula Zero, was it? I forget whatever it was. He copyrighted back in the day. In fact, when he led uh, FOTA, it really almost did come down to a breakaway series back before we had the FIA, the previous regime. Uh, they came to such bitter disagreements that there really was almost a breakaway series. But then they put Bernie in charge of FOM. And not surprisingly, he tidied everything up and got everybody on board. But what happened was they were meeting in Switzerland. Toto Wolf was in Switzerland, meeting with, I believe, Luca de Montezemolo and Lawrence Stroll. And it turns out that Bernie just happens to have a chalet in Gestad. So it was just a casual, friendly dinner. And I'm sure nothing at all of import about Formula One was discussed whatsoever. They were just talking about what was the best wine to pair with their dinner. Well, there you go, Chris. Proof positive of something. Yeah, for me, it's a bit of a non-story, if you ask me. I, w- I don't really believe for one second. I haven't believed any of the breakaway rumors and stories that have been about over the last 10 years, in all honesty. And for me, this all seems like political points that people are trying to to gain the upper hand in molding the 2021 regulations, the deadline you know, for which is, is coming up this summer. Sharis. All the way from Singapore. Thank you so much for joining us. What time did you have to, to get up to join Miss Apex today? I woke up precisely 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, what do you think Wolf uh, makes of this? He's, he's come out and sort of almost added fuel to the fire. From what I've gathered, what the teams are trying to resolve is mostly the cost cap. Um, yes, and so that's the main issue. And, but I really think it's going to take a miracle for all the teams to sit down in one meeting to come up with some kind of solution that satisfies everyone. This is the thing, Matt. Since we've been covering Formula One since, what, 2014, all these strategy group meetings have essentially come to nothing. The only major change was Bernie leaving and Liberty coming in. Apart from that, you know, generally we always hear about that strategy group vetoing itself out of existence. Yeah, well, the strategy group is the by far less important in a lot of ways. Uh, what is important is the F1 commission, which is where they actually will decide on the future of the regulations. And it's interesting to see that of all the major players, that it's Wolf and Mercedes who's, who are out there kind of cheerleading, saying, yes, we're optimistic, there's momentum, things will get done. But that's not what we're hearing from everybody. All right, so if we talk cost caps, Matt, is that the major issue here? Yeah, I, I would tend to think that it is. Uh, Renault, uh, for example, finds it to be the most important thing. The cost cap has to be agreed on. It's far more important than the technical regulations, according to Cyril Abitbol. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, you have a team like Red Bull, where Christian Horner has once again all over re-upped their threat to leave if Dieter Mateschitz isn't perfectly happy with every little toy in the pram. And uh, another big source of disagreement, quite honestly, uh, in my opinion at least, is going to be the Haas business model. Now, Haas has come in 
they have taken a careful look at the listed parts. And then they made an amazing deal with Ferrari where Ferrari said, yes, basically we will design your first year car for you. We will use all of your wind tunnel time for ourselves. Now I'm exaggerating. We don't know that this is exactly what happened, but basically Ferrari lent them the manpower to get off the ground, sold them all of the parts. And then six months later, all of those people who did all of that extra wind tunnel work that wasn't Ferrari, quote unquote, wind tunnel work, yeah. wound up going back to Ferrari with all that extra knowledge. And it was such a big deal that the stewards wrote, I believe it was about a 30 page decision at the end of that season when they uh, were first going to come in, saying that nobody else was allowed to do this thing, but technically it wasn't illegal when they did it. So they're allowed to get away with it. We don't even need to say allegedly, do we? No, 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 no. I mean, the question is to how deep and how far and exactly how much information was spread. That's something that could take infinite amount of parsing. But the larger picture of how it was done and what happened in terms of Ferrari personnel going back and forth, that was fairly well understood and acknowledged by all parties. And I'm going to say it right now, it wasn't illegal. But what that's done for Haas, they have subcontracted out their chassis building, pretty much everything that can be subcontracted out under the regulations, they have done so. So they run a very small in terms of personnel operation that Mm. also does not cost a lot of money and relative to the spend and size is getting very outsized results. And so let's talk about who's unhappy with them. Renault is unhappy. Zach Brown, McLaren is unhappy. Uh, Racing Point is unhappy. Uh, And Williams, you can bet their bottom gearbox, is very unhappy. Yeah, just to kind of expand on why Renault are so unhappy about it in particular is because, because they don't run a junior team, never have done. Their customers are McLaren and previously Red Bull, who, of course, were never a customer team, whereas you know Ferrari and now Red Bull are setting up that B-team scenario where they be- practically give them half a car. And, and supposedly that brings them closer up to uh, to the top of the midfield grid, although we're yet to see evidence of that with... Toro Russell, and I, I think, and we're yet to see that actually close the gap between the midfielders and the top end teams. So it's a question of ethics, I think. Formula One ethics. Should you design your whole car? Should you be allowed to get this, you know, the half a car from a manufacturer? It doesn't seem to be improving the racing um, in any way yes, and yes. could deter manufacturers from coming into uh, the sport if they choose not to bring in a second team for, for customers. Uh, so riddle me this, Chris. Of all the midfield competitors, which was the only one not lapped in the first Grand Prix of the year? It was, yeah, it was Haas. I mean, uh, okay. So when we're talking about not improving the racing, you're kind of arguing against yourself there a little bit, aren't you? I said, I said it hasn't worked out for Toro Rosso yet. They're not exactly like the fifth best team, are they, at the moment? Uh, To be fair, the relationship between Toro Rosso and Red Bull has been, before this season, a lot more compartmentalized with what you might call Chinese walls in place than the rather on top and a little bit more obvious relationship between Ferrari and Haas. But what I really want to get onto here is that why are Renault the ones calling for the cost cap? They are absolutely 100% the number one team who will benefit from a cost cap almost exactly because I think their budget is around the sort of cost cap limit that most people would mute. I don't, uh, clearly, they don't think it's going to work out for them all that much. They they reckon it's going to end up in a place, I think, that's still out of reach for them to catch Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. 
and they're the ones you know who should really be pushing for this more than more than most people on the grid great comment in the chat room by lance lassen when the breakaway occurs williams will move up to last on the grid well you know it only takes one team to not come with them to move them up the grid oh poor williams will get on to uh the story that they have definitely solved they've definitely identified sorry not solved why they're slow uh but we'll get onto that later uh yes Renault map they they definitely stand to gain the most they're shouting the loudest so it is about cost caps for Renault and not about any kind of specking of the parts no they're they're less concerned about the technical regulations but they are as you rightly point out they're essentially spending now what the originally proposed cost cap in 21 2021 was going to be and I'm surprised we're not hearing more about the technical side of the regulations because we're expecting a massive aesthetic overhaul for 2021. And presumably there's going to be some massive changes in you know suspension design, surely just because of going to 18-inch wheel rims, for example, and major aerodynamic changes where we're supposedly getting downforce produced in other ways, supposedly anyway. Um, I'm surprised we're not hearing more about that because you would have thought that some teams are already steering towards one design or another because you know we are 18 months away from these cars needing to be on track so surely they're they're putting designs in place at this point yeah but surely they had to get um the cost cap in place first because without knowing how much they're going to be able to spend you know they're not going to be able to budget the amount of money <laughs> Okay, yes. <laughs> well, no, that's why you do it now while you've got all the money in the world to spend. Surely you can do the Haas cheat the system and say, well, we spent that money in 2019 before the cost cap came into place. Well, perhaps they see that if they design their parts now, then, you know, they're not designed under proper regulation. So maybe in the future, they, they feel that they might face some opposition. Who knows? Yeah, well, you don't want to design parts that are going to wind up being illegal under the next technical regime. But that said, you do want to spend every last dollar you can spend before anything that resembles a cost cap shows up. So fortunately for us, we have Netflix reality show star Gunther Steiner making some rather <laughs> cogent comments along those lines. Uh, when asked about what might be in the regulations, he replied, I don't know what is in there. We all talk behind each other's backs. So I don't know in the end what F1 has come up with. And then he goes on to say, uh, you cannot start to develop if you have no technical regulations. But my favorite comment of his was, um, but there are a lot of things, the governance, the budget cap, the technical regulations. If we get it all done in one meeting, good for us. Yeah, good luck. And we can just imagine the precise amount of sarcasm that was put, dolloped heavily onto that remark when he made it to the interviewer. So I, I think there's also a certain amount of... Um, cynicism that much of anything will actually get done in the end because we've all heard Matthew Carter's accounts of what those meetings are really like and they do not sound like a recipe for large amounts of forward progress I will be honest but you've got to want like they're running out of time they've got three months to hook up these regulations and get them printed and done the deadline is coming up very very quickly and I'm so worried that we're going to get to this point where nobody agrees on anything. Wait, so wait, Chris, I'm, I'm top- really sorry, Chris, but the idea that a major organization would would not get to the point of a major rule change without a firm plan of how they're going to transition from one set of arrangements to another set of arrangements 
is simply preposterous. No country, no organization would do that. Surely, Chris, come on. No, no, you're right. This is all, this is all very sound, sensible talk coming from all the teams, and they're all going to sit there, and it's going to be like the Mad Hatter's tea party when they get in there. Right. We talked enough politics, I think, Matt. Should we talk about like things that happen on the racetrack and that? Yeah, absolutely. We learned all sorts of fascinating and interesting things from the race in Australia. We learned, for example, that Ferrari was not as fast at Melbourne as we thought they were going to be. We learned that Mercedes were like much, much faster. But the best thing we learned was that not every driver could even see the start light on the start line. And now, in particular, yeah. uh, Kubica and Gasly were very much out of luck at the beginning of the race. That sounds like a definite excuse. Oh, I couldn't see the start lights. And then a little fluffy dog jumped up into my cockpit and I had to pet it. Then I couldn't get away. Oh, it was a horrible teacher. Yeah, it does sound like it's directly out of the racer's handbook of excuses, volume number two. But it's an interesting problem. They lowered the lights because of the halo the previous season. But now what they've done is they've raised the rear wings and made them wider. So the gap for all of the cars to be able to see into is such that it may not be physically possible for one gantry of lights to serve the entire grid anymore. The FIA is, of course, looking into it. Uh, Charis. Cariz, I'm so sorry. I keep completely (laughs) saying your name wrong. It is Cariz. Sorry, You, you weigh in on this, please. Yes, I should have a question for you, Matt. When I first read this um, story online, I I was under the assumption that for even during last year, that most of the drivers at the back couldn't see the start lights. But maybe I was wrong. Do you have anything on this? Um, I remember it being a worry of the drivers. I don't remember any specific reports last year of drivers not being able to see. And if there were, I think the lowering uh, of the lights that was referenced in this article is probably would have been in response to that. Well, so they do have a second set of lights about halfway down the grid. Uh, maybe you need a third one about three quarters of the way down the grid for, for that lot as well. Because, you know, Gasly, Kubica, they were the guys, you know, out in Q1. So you, maybe you need like an extra set on the other side just down there. This seems like just a really bad problem to allow to get to a Grand Prix. Did Did nobody think, right, it just seems like one of these things where you have to examine what it's like for the end user and the end user is the driver, Chris. So do you telling me nobody sat on the Melbourne grid at Grand Prix driver height with a halo in front of them and some just mock-ups of cardboard and go, can we see something that is essential for starting the race? No. Why? I mean, you you don't get 20 Grand Prix cars on the grid until the grid for the race. Oh, right. Oh, oh, in that case, let's tell the entire defense industry to stand down until five minutes before everything is about to deploy. No, they go out there and they go out there with cardboard cutouts of helicopters and then people go in there to see what gaps they can fit in. Are you telling me this multi-million, million, million pound industry cannot do a simple user test to get off the grid? Uh, do you know what it needs to be? Like VR headset and the no. lights come up in your VR screen. It needs one guy with a cardboard cutout that's the height of a rear wing and another person that's got a chair that puts him at the height of a Formula One driver in a car. No, but this is Formula One, so they'll do some sort of big elaborate over-the-top solution <laughs> rather than something easy. I, suppose I, I don't know if your solution would actually work. I'm, I'm assuming it kind of wouldn't because... Of course it would it, 
it was, it's difficult to simulate 20 Grand Prix cars on the grid, but it's worth a shot. I no, guess. it's fantastically simple, Matt. Yeah, in fact, the chat room has picked up on this. Alex has suggested that all of this could have been avoided by a single race on a sim. And Alex <laughs> is pretty much entirely correct about that. And then uh, Othniel in the chat suggests, why not sync the lights to their steering wheel? Also a fairly straightforward suggestion, assuming nothing goes wrong with the syncing F1 TV Pro. I didn't mention that out loud. So you are not happy with F1 TV Pro? It, it, it's better this year. Um, but I have a different set of issues with it. But we can get into that later if you're curious. I am curious. We can get into that later. I think we're going to go into the sort of gap between Ferrari and Mercedes. Like I say, my one contribution to the notes this week was argue with Matt uh, about Ferrari and why they were slow. Um, But you had a little stat about Mercedes and poles. Yeah, well, it turns out that with his capture of pole position in Australia, Mr. Hamilton has now had as many pole positions as all of the current other drivers with pole positions in Formula One, which I believe is 58, maybe for the current set of regulations. I don't know. It's an astounding number of poles for Mercedes. And as we were discussing before the show, is kind of a great way to capture just how dominant this car has been during this set of regulations. Now, granted, Hamilton is a very, 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 very good driver, but the car has also been very dominant. And it's sort of a nice uh, package way to look at that. And this is why we see all of the, the people threatening to quit and to take their toys and go home, because the last thing anybody wants for the next set of regulations is another era of regulations dominated by a single manufacturer. And this is something that all of the teams are very much agreeing on. Yeah, but Charis, I mean, you're obviously a relatively new to F1, being a younger fan than Matt, much, much younger fan than Matt. But even myself at 38, I've become used to eras of domination. So I very much had to endure Michael Schumacher dominating the sport for Germany by just elbowing British and Canadian drivers out of the way at will. Then we endured Vettel again for four years. And this is kind of a Hamilton era uh, for somebody newer into the sport. You know, how do you see that? Do you, do you do you accept those periods of domination or is the younger generation coming through and expecting different champions year on year? Oh, uh, yeah, from what I've heard, it's been like that since the days of or since F1 even started. So, and I think that Lewis Hamilton is quite a crucial part, or he's a key feature to the sport. And I think that he's really done a lot to bring more new fans into the sport. I mean, he wasn't the one that brought me in, but I know when I talk to some of my friends who are completely uneducated about F1, Lewis Hamilton is the person they know. Yeah, so he's he's a megastar in F1. So uh, as a Formula One fan in Singapore, has that been recent that it's taken off um, in that region? No. <laughs> no, okay. No, okay. <laughs> F1 is still um, relatively unexposed, ironically, in Singapore, given that there's a Grand Prix here. Yeah. Fair enough. I think, uh, I think Matt, I definitely want to argue with you a little bit. So the, the crux of our arguments this week follows along it's sort of a three-year running battle where Ferrari consistently disappoint and fall short of the mark. And we certainly can't argue that they didn't fall short of the mark in Australia. And you come on this show 
and basically apologize on their behalf and make excuses for them and say, look, they do have the best overall package, but reasons. And I would accept those reasons, and I will, if you have them. But you have to admit, this was a big gap. It was an unexpectedly big gap. And also, I didn't listen to Tech Time. So you might have to repeat some stuff. Well, if you didn't listen to Tech Time, then you have no right to throw shade at me when I don't listen to the programs. One show show I haven't listened to in the last four years. And it's honestly, I was listening to it at bedtime. And this is no insult to Summers. I fell asleep, I think, (laughs) in his first sentence. But that is because I was very tired, not because of his particular, you know, I mean, it doesn't help. But anyway, sorry, go on. I'm sensing I'm sensing a marketing opportunity. We just get him to read the technical regulations and then we market it as a sleep aid. Yeah, it's like that um a- a- ASML where people like whisper into the mic. What's what's that? Yeah. Uh, ASMR. ASMR. Yeah, there we go. So, instead of like people whispering and making mouth noises, it's someone's going, "Will the toy squirt in the air I was disrupted on Hamilton's car?" And that's it. You're passed out asleep. Uh yeah, sorry. Anyway, what's the excuses for Ferrari? So, uh, for for this, it's going to have to be a big one in my mind. All right. So the basic, uh, what Ferrari has said out loud is essentially that they were not able to get a setup that worked in Australia, much to their chagrin. Now, what we've heard and what we heard even before we got to Australia was that they had discovered some kind of a reliability issue that was going to cause them to not be able to make full use of their power unit, i.e. they were going to run reduced maps. And this had the knock-on effect of unbalancing the car. Uh, So the front wing was not able to balance the downforce that the rear wing was producing. And we don't know if that was a surprise to them or not, but that also caused them a great deal of setup issues and also tire issues as well. And then because you were running it less of a map, you wind up relying on your battery more Then your battery runs down, then your car derates. So then you lose even more speed. And when you lose speed, you also lose tire performance because now your tires aren't in the window that your engineers expected. And it just simply becomes a problem that feeds on itself throughout the whole race. Let's not forget that uh, this time last year, they didn't have the car hooked up for Australia at all. They were way off Mercedes in that race and lucked into the win, effectively. Um, so I think Bahrain is going to be a much truer evaluation of of where they lie. You know, totally different circuit. We'll see how that the the power unit compares to Mercedes if they're not still having these reliability issues. But if if they're still struggling, you know, because their performance losses were in uh, in particular uh, medium speed corners where even Haas were quicker than them and low speed corners as well. They were being trounced by Mercedes and Bahrain is all, you know, low, medium speed corners and straights. So this is going to be a real test to see how, and if they can overcome those issues. Now I I've since read some technical analysis that's well, you know, uh, speculation, speculation, basically. Uh, but it really does look like the reliability concerns are coming down to the connection or somewhere in the area of the turbocharger and the um, MGUH. So that's almost certainly a cooling issue of some kind, which fits kind of with what we heard and would explain why they were running the maps they were running during the race. The question is, 
Is it a problem that they can solve for Bahrain or will it take longer than that? We don't know the answer and we probably won't know until they turn up in practice. Well, Chris, I mean, it's easy to say, well, there's the potential in the car. They've just got to unlock it. But a few years ago, I remember speaking to a, a young design engineer and I said to him, right, okay, this looks like an impressive piece of kit. When it when it breaks, how am I going to get into that unit? It looks impossible to break uh, to break into and then repair. And he said to me, "Well, I, I I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm trying to get it to work, and I'm not thinking about how to repair it." Well, I said to him, "Well, it's going to be out of our hands for a long time. So you're trying to get it to work. It doesn't work until you can repair it. And this is the problem with the Ferrari philosophy. It's no good saying, "Well, it's really fast. We just can't get it to run." Well, it's hot, so we've got to turn it down to stop it from blowing up. Well, in that case, you don't have a really good package. You have a package that is very vulnerable to cooling issues. Therefore, it doesn't matter how fast they looked in testing when they only had to do short runs and they didn't have a race distance to complete and they at race pace, they don't have a competitive package right now. Well, they did do race runs um, in... Uh, testing off the top of my head i i can't remember what the relative gap was to uh, mercedes but i think the issues that they're having at the moment are, are vastly different compared to say why they didn't win the last two world championships uh, because this this seems a little bit more fundamental um especially with the the design of their front wing actually seems to be causing a little bit of understeer in the low speed as well which they're then trying to overcome you know they've got one of the more radical designs of the new front wing whereas mercedes have got something a little bit more sort of quote unquote traditional right so the question i would say then uh the question i would have for you is when we talk about a reliability concern we don't know how conservative they are being in terms of protecting their power unit like what are the what is the probability were they to Mm. run it with full power maps that it would fail during a race we don't know where they are drawing that line. Irrelevant, kind of, because it's uh, that line can only go as high as their confidence. So if if they've only got the confidence to run at a pace that sees them 0.7 off in qualifying and 50 seconds back from the leader, then that's that's where that line is. But see, here's the thing. They are saying at 0.7, let's just take that because that was the rough average. At point seven, we know we will complete a race and we won't lose any points versus at at point two or at null, we could win the race, but there's a one in 10 chance we will lose all the points. So what I'm saying is the strategy reliability line, and perhaps I expressed it poorly, the strategy reliability line, we don't know where they're what they are looking at when they make that choice. And thus, we don't really know how conservative they are being with it. There's an argument, though, you could say that running at that pace cost Vettel third place against Max Verstappen, who did look to have quite a lot of overspeed on Vettel when he made that move. Now, of course, you've got to take into the fact DRS is more powerful this season, but it did look relatively easy for him on a track where it is very difficult to overtake. And of course, Honda are another bunch we've got to watch this weekend because as much as they topped all the speed traps, not just the down the pitch straight, but at the end of every sector, they were the quickest in either the Toro Rosso or the Red Bull. Can they then match that on a proper, proper power circuit? And by the sounds of it, Red Bull aren't having to compromise their aerodynamic setup 
to compensate for a lack of top-end speed. One of the analyses I saw suggested that all of the manufacturers now are within about 30 horsepower of each other. So no, no, they're absolutely not. And I noticed that uh, Mark Jackson in the chat room is uh, giving me grief because Haas ran full beans. They did, but interestingly enough, Haas were almost as slow as Ferrari down the straights. They were much faster in the slow. They were a little faster in the slow corners. They were much faster in the medium corners. And they were they were actually very close to Red Bull numbers, believe it or not. And from looking at the wheelbase and angle of attack data published in Automotor und Sport, thank you, Nick, uh, we know that Haas is running very close to Red Bull rake, very close to Red Bull uh, wheelbase, and is using the Mercedes-style front wing, which Red Bull has also opted for. Now, interestingly, Alpha is running almost a Mercedes wheelbase and isn't using the Mercedes wing, but is using the Ferrari wing and is almost running a Mercedes level of rake. So here we have the two Ferrari B teams, one of them set up very much like a Red Bull. The other one's set up kind of like a Mercedes with Ferrari kind of in the middle right now. Well, that might be why Renault is so unhappy with the way things are. I'm just putting it out there for speculation, kids. Oh, yeah, they want to have a B team to, you know, run their own practice numbers off of. But, you know, see, this is where I start to distrust these numbers, though, because you, you said it right there. Haas quicker than Ferrari in the medium speed, as, as quick on the straights uh, and quicker in the high speed and close to Red Bull in the medium speed. But then they're still like a second off their pace. So where, where does that all add up? It doesn't quite, in my opinion. Tell you what, that seems like a good place to have a little word from our sponsors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And we're back. A big hello to the live chat room. We've seen a massive increase in our video traffic. So welcome to anybody who has just caught up with us over the winter and I hope you stick with us for the 2019 season just to show off a little bit and to say that our 
our work and everybody who shared our posts and videos uh, work has paid off. We had a total of 24,000 consumptions split pretty evenly between video and audio for our Australian race review. That was only a week ago, Matt, and we now have had more people tuning into Missed Apex than live in Newquay. That's remarkable. And also, to you new people, there is an opportunity for you to come and hang out with us very soon. If you want to have your karting exploits commentated on by emerging commentating talent, Chris Stevens, you can come and join us on the 20th of April. There are currently four spaces left. Um, it's £79 for the afternoon between about uh, 1pm and 6pm. You'll be running, we'll be running 12 heats and you'll have three heats and then compete in a final. And Chris, that last year that worked so much better than just going out and doing some endurance racing for 40 minutes or a team split. It was just amazing, wasn't it? That that whole day, the whole event was a huge success for us. And the karting, you know, obviously was the highlight of the day. And then everyone loved it so, so much. The format, as you mentioned, worked way better than what we've done in the past. So we're sticking with that. And everyone just had a, an, a wonderful time there. And it, it was highlight of my year last year. So hopefully this one will be, you know, even more amazing. Bruce Wayne remarks, that's nearly as many people as Williams have disappointed this season. To be honest, that's a massive underestimation. I would imagine that Williams have disappointed hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, but look, we'll get we'll get to Williams. It feels like we've been beating up on Williams lately. So I kind of wanted to go softly on them and kind of just let's give them some room. You know, you don't you don't always just give the baby deer a dead squirrel. I don't know what baby deer eat. You give them a maimed squirrel and help them recover. Matt, you're not enjoying that analogy. Hey, deers are vegetarians, man. <laughs> well, are they? Are they though, Matt? Are they? Yes. You seem very sure. I am. <laughs> what was I talking about? The karting. Yes, come karting. Um, you'll get to come and race against us over these 12 races. You'll be racing against Bradley Philpot, who will probably definitely win. Uh, there's also me and Chris on track. Who else is coming from the crew? Alex Van Jean and Kyle Power as well, Chris? Uh, I believe so, yes. But then, of course, we're also doing our live show recording as well. They're complete with the live audience. And that was a you know big hit last last time we did this. It was fun recording in front of about 30 or 40 people in that live atmosphere. It was a horrible ed- edit because everybody was massively excited, uh, but it was quite cool to tune into. So please do consider coming and joining us on the 20th of April. That is in less than a month's time. It's a Saturday. The rating's in the afternoon. The podcast is in the morning and there is some beer in the afternoon. It's not an open bar or anything. Don't get excited. But we'll be hanging around for a pint at Rye House and it should be a great day. You can email me, spannersready at gmail.com or you can go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. Good. And now I turn to Matt to continue talking about the subject that was up next on the schedule, which I know, I know what it is, but I thought it would be better if, if you got us back on track. Good. You're lost as well. Excellent. Uh, we were talking about uh, rakes and angles and stuff, and I completely switched off. Did you go into that on the tech time, the difference between the rake angles and wheelbases? No, I found this data after we recorded the tech time. The tech time, we talked a lot about Ferrari and uh, Summers was of the opinion and most of the technical 
experts I've read are the opinion that Ferrari has an issue beyond just basic setup issues that they were protecting against, and that that caused the very real loss of performance. Obviously, we didn't see that to the same extent at Haas, but let's remind ourselves, the midfield runs much slower than the sharp end. So it may not have ever been an issue. And also, they will have packaged their cooling differently uh, to Ferrari. Uh, they, they, they will have gone their own way to a certain extent on that. So it may have been less of an issue if it was a cooling thing that caused them. But what I did read about the rakes, this is very interesting. We got Red Bull and Haas at one end. Got- and when you say at one end, it's they are the high rakes. So they've got the high backs and we're both craning our hands like racing drivers do to describe mm-hmm. the high rakes. So if you look at the Haas and the Red Bull, they look like they're pointing down into the ground. Correct. And it was mentioned in the article that the very steep angles of attack can only happen with what amounts to almost a slight curving up of the legality plank or the skid at the very front. Otherwise, it would just be dragging constantly on the pavement. And um, they just, it, it borders on the verge of legality, it was the description in the article. Now, here's an interesting thing, though. I said that Alpha was running almost Mercedes Lake numbers. Can you guess who's closest to Alpha? Why, yes, it would be Toro Rosso. Almost the same numbers as the Sauber, I'm sorry, the Sauber, the Alpha is running. Um, and at the opposite end of the spectrum from their Papa team, Red Bull. So this is, again, Renault, Racing Point, Williams. This is their worst nightmare because whether it's legal or however it's happening, obviously they are getting data from these teams being set up this way. They don't supposed to technically control it, but it's kind of funny how it wound up like that. Excellent. I I zoned out. I'm not going to lie. The chat room distracted me. With The comment of the week has come in already. James Funnel says, I can vouch for the karting. It was really good fun. And Spanners is disappointingly quick. That's That's got to be comment of the week there because he's praising me. That's how you pick comment of the week, isn't it, Matt? Uh, yeah, that's exactly how I do it. I'm actually looking for the message because I will pro- I will happily throw that <laughs> into the mix for you, but yeah. I can't find it. So. I think that should win. Why don't we talk about some racing and some on-track action? Where do we Where do we think we are going to to find ourselves in Bahrain? So we've had a good look at the cars in Australia, but as we know, Carries Australia often throws up very kind of random results. We saw Magnussen second on one grid one year. Um, what are you expecting to see in terms of the top three? Well, I'm hoping to see Ferrari back on top. Really? Because... Hang on a minute. You're not a Ferrari fan, are you? We haven't established this yet. No, no, no. Why I say that is because we need that competition. Literally in Melbourne, all we had was just the two Mercedes in front and uh, Max Verstappen. I, I honestly have no idea whether Red Bull will be able to achieve the same results as they did in Melbourne. So what I hope is that all three of them can be on top and not just one team. And if it's only if it's only Ferrari on top, I'm probably kind of going to ask for Mercedes. I'm probably going to be talking about why Mercedes can't be there and Red Bull also. So you're rooting for the underdog so we can have good competition. But if you had to declare a bias, because on this show we're pretty neutral, I will very occasionally favour some of the British, occasionally show a little bit of favour for the British drivers. Where do you, where do you find yourself 
you know, in, in your inner soul, when which driver does well that makes you go, oh, come on, yes. Yeah, oftentimes when I'm watching uh, F1, you will hear me yelling for Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, <laughs> it's an easy pick, isn't it? Because you think he's so lovable. I, I think that Daniel Ricciardo, he, he puts that friendly face on. I think behind the scenes, he secretly is like evil. He's like, um, you know, like uh, Mr. Business off of Lego Movie. He's all happy and smiley. And then he's a maniacal maniac behind the scenes. Exactly. And that's why I like him, because (laughs) on the surface, there's so much more to him. He has so much more depth. Yes. Okay. You like the fact that he might be evil. (laughs) Chris? Yeah, I think we're all hoping that uh, Ferrari and Red Bull can mix it in with the Mercs. Um, Let's be honest, they are the obvious favourites going into this, because we know that the car is quick and, you know, should be quick in, in all conditions and on most circuits um i'll be interested to see if Valtteri bottas can you know repeat his um australia masterclass and uh, what hamilton can do with his you know hopefully with a car that hasn't been damaged by what they now believe was a curb that caused that floor damage oh really yeah so hopefully we'll get to see a straight fight between those two because god knows mercedes have had some good uh, dual deserts in the past well hang on a minute weren't we giving ricardo a bit of stick i can't remember who was doing it for not doing a track walk and we're saying he was a very highly paid driver would you not know which areas of grass are safe to go on surely then we're saying that that's an error from lewis hamilton he's overdriving the curbs chris well i I don't know those curbs are super super aggressive and sometimes you can just make a mistake and and get it wrong on one occasion i mean we know that williams couldn't go on the curbs at all because they didn't have any spare floors for example well i mean matt that's that's a kind of a giveaway that the curbs are bad if there's a team that can't afford any spares that are avoiding the curbs because they are known uh, to be damaging the floors then you've got to say well you know well lewis you've you've you know that you're taking a risk every time you hit a curb. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think as Chris points out, the question is, did he take to that curb intentionally or did he just miss a little bit and collect some damage? And it's worth pointing out that the area of the floor that failed had been repaired earlier uh, during the event. So it It was was a week. Pictures of it being uh, composited back together, glued back together, basically. I feel like we've covered the floor quite a lot, Matt. We have. Um, no one has talked about the midfield yet. And you can ask me what I think is going to happen at the sharp end. But what I'm really looking forward to is the ongoing Renault Haas battle. I mean, we had some delicious Kevin Magnuson, Nico Hulkenberg uh, work in the last race with some appropriate whinging on the radio. Uh, but looking at the analysis of corner speeds from Australia, we see that that Renault do seem to have an advantage in the slow speed corners, but Haas has a big advantage in the medium and in the and somewhat less, but still an advantage in the high speed corners. But Renault have a big advantage down the straight. So I think Bahrain is going to be just on a nice edge between those two. And that alone is going to animate uh, a, a lot of what we watch. Because we've got teams coming with with updates for this race as well already, you know, second race into the season. So all the top teams surely are going to be bringing updates. We know that Alfa Romeo 
uh, should be bringing an update. Um, Matt, I think you were saying that it was the one they were supposed to have in testing and it's been delayed. Um, Racing Point have said they're bringing updates to you know all of the first few races. We've got to expect something um, from them. And, you know, they, they only just introduced their 2019 car proper in Australia and scored points and were pretty competitive. So let's see what they can do when they start actually adding some more components to the car. But the thing we've got to look out for, especially with this midfield, it's going to be so determined by the strategy, I think, because it's all about traction and keeping the rear tires in check, especially on such an abrasive surface, especially compared to Melbourne as well. It's a totally different ball game. And that will have an impact on how the teams are able to use the tires. One of the things we do remember from Australia is that only Mercedes were really able to get the tires into the sweet spot of the operating window with a much more abrasive um, asphalt. That should be less of an energy for the teams to get uh, less of an issue for the teams to get their right amount of energy into the tires to get them to operate. We're also bringing the... um, the one, two, and three tires. So the hardest, um, C1 will be the hard, two will be the medium, three will be the soft. Whereas no, in Australia, no, we were on the two, stop. three, four. No, we've got, to, we've got to stop there. I, what, I'm lost. I think we need yet another recap on what the heck you're talking about. Chris, break it down for me. Right. Put simply, the, the compound range is harder than it was in Australia. And you just know it's going to be too hard, don't you? I mean, yes. we saw... The, what is still going to be a one-stop race, really, isn't it? I mean, I th- the theory last year was the two-stop was quicker, but uh, the top teams didn't want to go for it because they didn't want to lose position, as it were. So, I, I but I can't see that same scenario panning out again. Uh, last year, the top three teams made one stop. The rest of the teams made two or more. And the tires last year, with that, were a softer selection, essentially, than the ones we're seeing this year, although the compounds aren't really analogs of each other. Yeah, but also Ferrari were planning a two-stopper. And then when they say saw Mercedes were one-stopping, they then very hurriedly were like, right, now you've just got to make these tires last to the end. Uh, and that's why we ended up seeing that really close battle. So some teams may plan a two-stopper, but I can't see it happening if the tires are harder than they were last year. Uh, and and this is the, these are the hardest compound that we'll see all season as well. So I don't see much going on strategy-wise in all honesty. Yep, didn't understand any of that. Good. I I am lost. I don't know why they keep making it harder. I thought the whole point of having Pirelli coming in with different softnesses of tyres was to mix it up and get people coming in and doing strategy. There's no strategy now with the tyres. They pick a set of tyres that are all individually hard enough to probably be fine throughout the whole course of the race. And we just have one-stop races all throughout the season. Yeah, well, again, we can blame the the hybrid uh, era for that because since then, it's just been Pirelli being too nervous to do anything too drastic with with tyres. You know, ever since 2014, they, they start going back and back and back for it and they, they, they won't go beyond anymore. Good, hang on a sec. Whose fault is it? Is it? Is it Pirelli's fault? It's Pirelli's fault, Matt. So, Spanners, you're an engineer, right? yeah medium three days a week medium. now yeah you you've you've played in that sandbox, i'm not emotionally invested in engineering anymore but yeah kind of you could give me an engineering perspective on something so if you had a client who asked you to design a thing and said this thing needs to be able to go 100 miles an hour right yes you, and you designed the thing to go 100 miles an hour 
and then your client turned up and promptly ran it at 120 miles per hour nonstop. What would you say to them about that? When they well, complained that it didn't work the way they wanted it to. It's all about requirements, isn't it? But if he said, yes, I had a requirement to run at between 95 and 105 miles an hour, then I would give him a range of performance in that zone. But you would also give them a drop off. So you would say, see, you've, you've got me going now. So you'd, you would, you, that would be the top of the bell curve. And then you would, you would see on the graph at 120, you're only going to get 40% reliability or 40% performance. Right. So here's the thing. The Pirelli tires were designed with the understanding the new regulations would make the cars one and a half to two seconds slower. Oh. And instead, they're about that same amount faster. Maybe not quite that much faster, but they're faster than last year. They were supposed to be slower. So already, you're not going to get what you were hoping for based on that one piece of information alone. If they thought that the cars were going to be slower then the tires should be softer than expected, not harder. Yeah, the tires were designed for the amount of energy a car going that much slower would put into them to get them into the proper operating temperature, right? <laughs> Merkman in the chat says, uh, I was under the impression there would be no maths. Uh, yes, I think that's fair. We have gone uh, down quite a technical dribble here, Matt. Why don't we instead... Just move on to just hard and wild speculation. We all know Bahrain. We've seen the lay of the land. Why don't we come up with some some hard and fast predictions? Um, why don't we start with Cariz talking about your man, Daniel Ricciardo. I think a lot of hearts were broken when he was out-qualified by Hulkenberg. However, he did hold his hand up and say, I think that might be because I didn't do very well. Sorry. Yes, um... Uh, regarding to uh, in regard to Melbourne, yes, he was out qualified by Hockenberg, and furthermore, in the race, he royally messed up. Uh, let's face the facts. Um, yeah, so in Berlin, I think I'm really looking forward to a proper fight between Daniel Ricciardo and Nico Hockenberg. I must say that Hockenberg. I, I must give a disclaimer first. Hockenberg <laughs> is like my second favorite driver, so that's kind of like Renault. Okay, oh, I so think you can draw the inference from that. So you're fully uh, on the Renault hype train this year. Yeah, shall I show you? I've got a Renault cap. Anyways, besides the point. Uh, yes, so last year when Daniel Ricciardo announced that he was moving to Renault, I was what I've been looking forward to since then is the fight between them so that I can really see how good Nico Hockenberg is. And what is your what is your prediction, right? If they end up in a Lewis Hamilton Rosberg esque battle, uh, battle in the desert, swapping strategies and trading paint, who do you think will will come out on top? Well, okay, that that's putting me in a tight spot, Spanos. Uh, that's but what we I, do here. I I do like to to tear apart people's opinions and get to the root of it. It's like choosing between two children, and I I have a clear favourite now. It was hard for the first few years. Now I definitely know which one I would save in a, a sort of uh, a train track experiment. Uh, but which which one are you going to pick out those two guys? For now, okay. If I play it safe, I'd go for Daniel Ricciardo. But I, you know what. I'm going to gamble and I'm going to say uh, Hockenberg. Hockenberg is going to come out on top. But honestly, I do think that they're going to end up in a sort of, uh, if, you're, if you're 
comparing to Hamilton Rosberg. You know, I think if they come into a fight, it probably end up like Spain in was it twenty sixteen. You think those yeah. two might come together and end up falling out? That's a, it's an interesting premise, Trumpets. I mean, there is there is definitely enough ego in the team for there to be problems. Oh yeah, on both sides of that particular fence. What I find interesting is that the first year in a new team is always the most challenging for a driver. And if you take someone who's so used to driving a Red Bull and chuck them into a Renault, it's going to be a huge adjustment. I will be surprised if it's a close run battle over the course of the whole season. And especially now that he managed to uh, basically take himself out of the first race entirely. Although good news for him, we did see one of the other Renault engines just burst into flame. So there's no telling how many races anybody's going to finish this year if you're driving a Renault. Do you remember a couple of years ago when we talked about Max Verstappen moving up from Toro Rosso to Red Bull and how suddenly driving a car that will turn in much sharper, for example, than the car he's used to and uh, crashed in Monaco because of that, or that was a contributor to the incident. Go the reverse scenario. Uh, and in my opinion, that would be the harder thing to do, get adapting to a slower car that isn't quite as sharp and suddenly doesn't do the things you, that you want to do, like what Lewis Hamilton had to do when he moved from McLaren to Mercedes. It's a whole other ball game, and it's something that you've got to learn and get used to and help the team to, to get around. That said, I think the move that Lewis Hamilton made from McLaren to Mercedes, his first year there, and his comparison to Rosberg, that's going to have to be the standard for Ricciardo. He's going to have to do a similar job because that that is the best comparison we have. We have someone at a team a long time, number one driver, even though drivers got equal play at McLaren, supposedly, um, moving to a brand new team and versus someone who's been there a long time and has the vast majority of the team on their side and already working for them. So Ricardo's job isn't just to drive fast. It isn't just to drive development. He's going to have to win some hearts and minds in the pit lane as well, or it's going to be a long, cold season for him. That's a good point. Winning over your side of the garage is vitally important. And I have heard early whispers that that relationship isn't frictionless to start with between the team and Danny Rick at the moment. I mean, he's gone in there going, I wanted to be the big dog at Red Bull. It's not quite worked out like that. He's left reportedly for money reasons, but maybe for reasons of maybe the team, he feels the team isn't on his side. He's coming to Renault. He's got no choice but to go stamp my authority. I'm a bigger deal than Nico Hulkenberg. And that inevitably could cause some early friction. Chris? I mean, we're we're sitting here and we're we're talking about how the, the gap to Hulkenberg or, or whatever, though he was out qualified by, by him in Australia. What was it, half a, half a tenth or something? It was not bad for your first race. Sorry, uh, I was going to respond to what Spano said. And I, I think that's why precisely I said that if Hulkenberg and Ricardo come together on track, they're going to end up like um, Hamilton and Rosberg in Spain 2016. Because even as a fan watching you know, how they do all those PR videos, I feel like I can see the friction there, you know, you know, as, as a fan of both of them, I had wished that, you know, they would get along. Like, yeah, as far as uh, F1 drivers do get mm. along, but surely with 
what we've all brought up with um, Ricardo needing, both of them actually, needing to prove themselves in the team. And with Ricardo going in with that mindset that he wants to be top dog, I don't think a good relationship is going to be possible. If, if I can defend Hulkenberg for a minute, I don't think Hulkenberg has a great deal to prove. He might not have fulfilled his potential going up to a top team and, and taking on a title fight, but he has remained in the most competitive motorsport on the planet as a paid driver for many, many years now. For him, he must be rubbing his hands together. It's a much-fancied, high-profile driver entering his team that he's used to with his mechanics, with people that are his friends that have probably gone to each other's birthday parties. This superstar comes in. And if you're, if you're Nico Hulkenberg, you can play this fantastically and, and, and have the team on your side. And it's a shot to nothing, Chris, because if he, if he loses, he's been beaten by the great Daniel Ricciardo. If he wins, he can shrug his shoulders and go, see, I should have been at a top team all this time. Well, he, of course, he's the one hoping, um, alongside Daniel, of course, that Renault does turn into a top team because, yeah, he, he's got nothing to prove. And even if he did, proving anything, I don't think, and nothing would come of it. He's not suddenly going to end up getting a drive at Ferrari, Red Bull or Mercedes because he beats Nick, uh, Daniel Ricciardo in, a, um, in an inter- intra-team scrap. Uh, Renault. He he needs Renault to become the front-running team because he's not going to move up any higher than he is at the moment. No, Matt, I'm just thinking a bit of vindication, you know, because people have kind of gone, well, you're a bit of a journeyman. But if he goes ahead and goes toe-to-toe with Ricardo, you know, that's it. He can just go, see? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, Chris is right. What, what? The, what the cause they have in common... I know. I'm sorry. I did say the words Chris is right in a row, but I did it on purpose. I swear. What they have in common is they both have an absolute need for Renault to be the fourth manufacturer and to be competitive with Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes to be able to get podiums regularly and to occasionally vie for wins. The problem for them, and I suspect this might be behind the issues to a certain extent, between uh, that we're hearing about supposedly, allegedly, understandingly uh, with Ricardo is I have a real sense based on Renault's budget that whatever they promised him to get him to walk in that door isn't even going to remotely start coming to pass until there's a cost cap in 2021. And they may have overpresented what they're capable of between now and then in order to get him to sign because let's not hit ourselves it's a little bit personal between Christian Horner and Cyril Abitbol as well, and stealing Ricardo out from under them after they got the shove for their power units was kind of a power move. Okay, I'm going to get from my three panelists here a top three prediction for Formula One and for Formula B and also for Formula Williams. So that's what I'm going to ask you uh, quickly. But let's get to know. Let's get to know our panellists a little bit. Chris Stevens, PR guy, an emerging commentator. You were the voice of Missed Apex over our sim racing weekend. Uh, we've been struggling to... It's really embarrassing. We've been struggling to upload the, the stream file up to Google Drive. That is the holdup. I, I, keep, I keep trying to upload it, and then the computer turns off. One time, I was 10 gig into the upload... And I just turned my computer off because I'd finished doing something else and went, ah, so it's my fault. Uh, But you'll get a chance to see Chris covering that event. Um, Where can people catch up with uh, what you're doing now? You're still writing. 
just because you're a PR legend now, you're still writing. Yeah, still chipping away at some journalism stuff. Um, you know, less so, obviously, now that I'm working um, full time. But, but, um, but that doesn't mean you failed as a journalist. You've just taken a sidestep for a moment. Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah. uh, I'll end up doing some stuff. I actually have some stuff coming out tomorrow in uh, in a magazine about uh, formerly in Jaguar I-Pace over at Auto EV. Uh, so you can go and check that out. Um, if you want to keep up with everything I'm doing, follow me at Chris on racing on Twitter. And of course, uh, I'm going back to Simply Race in a couple of weeks where we had uh, our sim event uh, to do some more commentary for the 12 hours of Nürburgring race that they're hosting there. And of course, you can also listen to me on uh, e-radio show with Matt. We had Formula E this weekend. Uh, so we'll be recording our race review uh, next week. So what you're telling me is that I I got you work as a commentator and I'm entitled to a cut. Let's call it 65% and be done with it. Uh, how about zero down and zero a month for a really long time? Do you know, just even a hint of gratitude. That That's all <laughs> I want. You know, I'm a hardworking dad. Oh, wait, you're not my kids. Uh, right. Give me your predictions then. Let's just have a quick rundown. Uh, firstly, for the top three, I, I think... We're all looking at Mercedes and a fair fight between Bottas and Hamilton. Yeah, I think this will be the one where Hamilton strikes back. You know, he was the quicker man in qualifying um, in Australia. You've got to assume it's going to be the same deal again. If he gets the start right this time, I think he'll just sort of go off into the distance a little bit. So for me, podium wise, I think it's going to be Hamilton Bottas. And then I'm going to go ahead and nail in Verstappen for the podium spot. <sighs> spot because i think it's more likely that honda are going to be quicker than ferrari are going to be reliable enough to run at that speed wow you're really like dismissing ferrari there uh why don't we just why don't you give me don't dwell on it but give me a quick kind of midfield podium as well uh i think renault will just beat Haas on that one i'm gonna go hulkenberg ricardo magnuson Nice. And for, for Formula Williams, who's going to win that championship? The, the, the easiest one, Russell. Russell. There we go. Uh, let's go over to uh, uh, Carriers Tua. You are the YouTuber behind Honest F1. Tell me what you're trying to do over there at Honest F1. I am trying to express my honest opinions on motorsport. Straightforward. That's it. Um, though I must say that Currently, I can't promise regular videos, but if you want honest opinions, do head over there. They, they are very charming videos, certainly. I particularly enjoyed your theory that Ferrari ha- has been run by aliens for some time now. Yes, unfortunately, I've set very high standards with that video and now I'm very... Uh, I'm not sure if the rest of my videos can live up to that. So, yeah. But if yeah. you want honesty... That's the place to go. She's been honest. She's peaked too early. Always uh, <laughs> under promise and over deliver. Uh, for you, very quickly, who do you think is going to be your top three? Um, because Chris has dismissed Ferrari from that top three battle. I'm interested to know if you think that um, Vettel is going to be able to maintain that number one driver status within the team. Well, that's interesting you touch on that because I was going to say that I'm still holding out hope that Charles Leclerc might win or have a chance at winning this time. Yes. Yeah, so would you like to hear my podium? I would. Okay, so I'd go, I'd gamble again and say that Leclerc first. Um, what? Wait, what? What? Hang on a minute. Le- Leclerc, and it's pronounced Leclerc, by the way. Don't worry, don't be embarrassed. Easy mistake to make. You're saying he's going to win in Bahrain. He's your number one. Yes. Love I'm, it. 
uh, because it's the beginning of the season, I'm going to hold out my optimism. Uh, yes, and I want to see a different winner, you know, compared to just the normal and boring Vettel uh, Hamilton. Yeah, so I'm hoping that uh, going along those lines, you know, maybe I would be very happy to see a resurgent Bottas also on the podium. And last one, I'm going to go uh, a bit extreme here, but since we saw the Red Bulls have a shot of a podium in Melbourne, I'm going to say that you know, I'm looking to Pierre Gasly to try and fill up that last spot. And keeping in mind that last year he had an amazing race in Bahrain. So hopefully he will keep up that same running form. Yeah, it would be it would be very interesting to see the dynamic at Red Bull if Gasly could just strike in a few sucker punches and a few digs. Where can people exactly. find you on social media to catch up with your honest F1? Well, I'm mainly on Twitter um, and my handle is honest underscore F1. Oh. I'm sorry, I have the underscore. It's painful, but someone stole the handle without the underscore. Underscores are <laughs> terrible. It would be better to not have a Twitter account than have an underscore. It's okay. You're young. You'll learn underscores. Chris eventually changed it to yes an equally poor twitter handle but at least he didn't he didn't have the underscore i stand by it i like it mm, yes your judgment is terrible matt trumpets your judgment is always fantastic i think one of the most fascinating things about this championship is if uh, ferrari cannot challenge the top two and red bull also aren't in that main mix we've got a very similar situation to Mercedes 2014, 15, 16. And actually, Bottas got a fantastic chance because if, if, if Hamilton hits a curb or he has a Malaysia-style engine blowout, that engine blowout effectively counts as four wins in a two-way battle, doesn't it? Because, you, you know, you, you lose, you know, it's a 30-point swing if your engine blows from the lead and it takes seven, sorry, four races to make up seven points, seven points, seven points, seven points and fastest lap. Yeah, and are you you're allowing for the fastest lap in those maths? I'm assuming. No, because let's face it, let's face it. Bottas has the biggest lead after the first race we have ever seen because he nailed down that extra point. Now, what really spoke to me though was not him winning the race in the style he did in a Mercedes that was unchallenged by a Ferrari or a Red Bull. But what spoke to me was the distance off of Hamilton in qualifying. It was what a tenth. A little bit more, like 0.112. Um, that is not what we saw last year out of him at all. All it's going to take is a bad start for Hamilton or a mishap into turn one. And that race is going to belong to Botas and it's going to be very hard to take it away from him. And that is what we absolutely really did not see last year. And I know Mercedes last year were struggling a little bit more, you know, compared to where they were last year, but. Bottas outperformed Hamilton at this track last year. So could be one to watch. Okay, but let's not get carried away. Like, this isn't the second coming of Bottas. Hamilton is still a very fast driver. Still probably the fastest driver of those two. Um, He had a problem and and Bottas was able to capitalise on it. The interesting thing will be is if Ferrari don't close that gap then none of the runaway problems that Bottas had, Chris, last season, i.e. falling slightly behind in the championship, getting uh, less favourite uh, status, B, 
because Vettel was right there chasing Hamilton. If none of those pressures are there and they, they are more free to race, the gap closes again. And he can he can certainly pull off a Rosberg. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> pull off a Rosberg. You make it sound like such a... No, such no, a, no. Okay, here's no. what Rosberg did. He was he was definitely the second best driver in Mercedes. I'm not, I'm not even taking any argument either way. He was definitely the second best driver, but he was close enough that given no pressure from other teams, when Hamilton had bad luck, which is part of motorsport, he was he was close enough to take advantage of it. And Bottas is certainly good enough to do that. The thing, I wouldn't even say, did he take advantage of Lewis's broken floor in Australia, for example? Because in my opinion, you know, he, he got the start. That was all him. Yes, that's true. No, that, no, that's true. Yes, that's a good point. He took the lead fair and square. And I think after that, Mercedes will say, right, that's it. You're, you're locked in for the whole race now in those positions, unless something goes wrong on, on Valtteri's car. Or oh, something. no, no. Now, hang on a minute. If that same thing happens in Bahrain and Hamilton's yeah. not in a sick car, I think Hamilton will be free to fight him. I don't think that's an issue. You Really? No, oh, we'll, no, we'll <laughs> no way. No way. A radio call comes over and says, Lewis, hey, five-time world champion, I, I'd, we're going to ask you for no reason at all in the second race of the championship to hold station and not race against Bottas. Not a chance. The thing, I think in the, the first race you handle differently, especially because it's Australia, because you it's so difficult to overtake there that letting your guys race could just end, is more likely to end up in a crash, for example, than I think it would do in Bahrain, for example. Also, I think the, you know they weren't expecting to have the pace that they did. So they were probably more aiming at let's pull a gap to Red Bull and Ferrari while we can. Now they, they they might think we've got a bit of room to play here. So perhaps that uh, that could change. Yeah, it could change. But fundamentally, I think uh, Botas is much more on it this year than he was last. I think it's more of a challenge for Hamilton. I still think Hamilton is the better driver, but it's much more of a challenge for him because well, just because of the way this race alone will have given uh, Valtteri a confidence that he seemed to lack most of last season and a desire to prove that he can be the equal or the best driver on the grid that's not named Lewis Hamilton. He will want to win this and he's got a big, he's got an advantage right now. He will seek to extend it if at all possible. So that in and of itself is a fascinating dynamic and one that we really didn't have as part of our narrative last year excellent guys thank you very much for joining me especially to you Karis Chua for joining us at four o'clock in the morning a Singapore time thank you Matt for staying sober long enough to have a, a nice chat with us for F1 News Chris Stevens as well you can follow for always having the finger on the pulse of what's happening in F1 News, do check out our sister show, E-Radio Show, which is all about Formula E, which is racing cars that run on batteries that could easily have been designed to just have a quick swap, but instead spent four seasons swapping cars. But that's over now. It's only one car for the race. And from what I've heard, it's been absolutely thrilling to watch the start of that season. Um, would you say it's the best season yet, Chris? Hundred Oh, easily. Easily, we've had the best races compared to uh, before. The, the new car has just opened up opportunities for uh, racing that the old car did not. And the fact that we, we're seeing such a competitive grid as well, where there's 
six or seven teams that can win a race. Yeah, this is the best one we've had so far. And obviously, forget about those guys. I'm the most important one. If you want to follow me, it's at Spanners Ready on Twitter, or you can friend me on Facebook by searching Spanners Ready. Let's be friends. Come join us karting at Rye House. On the 20th of April, £79, you will get four races. There's a live show in the morning, karting all afternoon, and a few beers in the evening as well. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. And I suppose, Matt, they could, if they wanted to go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, they could support us and they could hear our patron podcast where we sort of waffle inanely and after about 15 or 20 minutes, we eventually talk about some F1. Yeah, you'll be looking forward to, to tomorrow's recording because almost all of it will be arguing about technical specifications for recording. Oh, right. We have had such a fallout. And <laughs> and you're going to you're going to make me we're going to fall out even more because I, I can't actually make it during the day, although I, I might be able to do an evening recording if you're still up for that. But yeah. what occurs to me is that quite a lot of shows kind of go, oh, if you want to hear the full details, tune into the Patreon podcast or you want to hear that full interview. It's behind this paywall. We're the exact opposite. If you want to hear a stopping concentrating on anything properly F1 newsworthy and just descend into waffle. The very worst bits have been cut out into a sort of shelved off paywall. Pay for worse content is what we're asking people. Absolutely. Speaking of content. Yeah. We may have left some content out that the chat room is asking for. Uh, Okay. Well, this is just for the chat room then. Uh, Goodbye to everyone else. I'm going to click stop there. And I've, my computer oh. ran out of memory halfway through that recording. So I have no idea what's about to happen to this file. You're joking. No, I've don't, I've, it's one of those situations. I think I'm going to have to stop. And then I'm going to have to like leave that in situ. And then I'm going to have to kind of go into my file management and delete a bunch of stuff, hoping that that doesn't affect this. And what then the hell have you got on there? Basically, I can't, I can't save it. It's, I think it's because it's being saved to my S- SSD. And not no, my you, yeah, no, no, you can't save it. If you delete a bunch of other stuff and then save it. Is that, will that do it? I, I, I hope if there's room to save it. There's room to save it. I think it. I can just go save as and then go to the HDD, I think. You can try save as and go to HDD, but we didn't do a uh, comment of the week. Oh, <laughs> for goodness. All right, here we go. But Matt, of, of course, of course, I, I wouldn't dream of clicking off the recording Right. Without doing comment of the week. And it definitely doesn't sound bolted onto the end because I've had to press record again several minutes after I planned to stop. But hey, Matt, why don't you tell us who's won this week's comment of the week? Oh, I'm so embarrassed in front of Carrie's as well. The first time I've ever forgotten comment of the week in front of a new panelist. Oh, it's, it's terrible. What a bad day. Tragic. Sorry, uh... that's the last time. <laughs> Go on, Matt. All right, Philip Allen in early with duct tape is the opposite of WD forty. Right. Trying to be helpful. No, the top. Right, okay. So as an as an engineer, everybody drink. Okay, there there's a few simple rules to being an engineer. Okay, if it's if it's moving and it's not supposed to, duct tape. As I'm holding in my right hand, no more questions as to why I have duct tape in my hand. It solves everything. So if it's moving and it's not supposed to, 
duct tape. If it's not moving, but it is supposed to, WD-40. Engineering is simple. There you go. Um, Keternath Ayeri says, I am going to put my tinfoil hat and call it. Lawrence Stroll will just buy F1 to make sure Lance wins the WDC. I don't think that's that crazy. I, I can see the Strolls buying out Brackley and Stroll being a world champion. I don't think Stroll being an F1 world champion is off the books at all. In fact, I think it's a reasonable bet. At the other end of the spectrum, E.V. Clinkin suggests just put in a cost cap of a thousand bucks and see what happens. Then that's, I mean, <laughs> okay, I, that can't win. That's terrible. Thanks for your support and thanks for watching, by the way. All right. So, but um, I, I getting getting serious now. He also suggests, quote, your bed has a very high softness coefficient. The airflow from your window breezes gently onto your face. This is a preview from Summer's Slumbers. Oh, because we're suggesting that Summer's should be, uh, hang on, what is it? What is it, Karis? ASMR? ASMR. Yeah. yeah. ASMR. So in, instead of, let's face it, instead of a pretty lady on YouTube whispering into a mic, because that's all it is, it's a pretty lady vehicle on YouTube, we'll have Summer's instead with his significantly less pretty face. Grid, grid girls had to go somewhere. Well, oh God, oh God. Where's the, where's the beat button? Just... Help us out, trumpets. Let's move on. I can't. That is so unwoke, Chris. Ugh. Yeah, I know. Um. Anyway, uh, we're going to go on with your favorite. Can vouch for the carding. It was really good fun. Spanners is disappointingly quick by James Funnel. I'm going to have to go with EV Clinkin. Your bed has a very high softness coefficient. The airflow from your window breezes gently under your face. This is a preview from Summer Slumbers, and it's not at all because later on in the chat he said, "I am a divine being on the level of the mighty Lord Alonzo." So basically, just you just pick people who are nice to you. Comment of the week. You've just told everyone how to game the system. You're the opposite of iTunes podcast charts. Hate you and everyone. Bye. Okay, I'm clicking stop now. We will stop. Right. Comment <laughs> of the fun. week. I'm not naked in the Patreon podcasts. It's audio oh. only. You can't possibly know that. He can't possibly know that. Matt, why have you been telling people things? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.